0: good morning it's good to be back with the wonderful people of st martin's after my vacation so good to be with you all so happy to be here so happy to have this community to come home to on my first reading of the gospel this morning i thought to myself well maybe the roman church is actually right maybe there is a primacy of peter and I've gotten it wrong all these years. And I need to give up my whole Protestant heritage. But then I got over it, and I'm OK. But I raise it as an example of how tradition really can get in the way of how we perceive a passage of scripture. It's not even my tradition. It's not something I was even taught. but. Circulating through the culture of Christianity, I still hear when I read about Peter the Rock about the founding of the papacy. It's not in there, but I hear it. This is the obstacle we run into when tradition gets in the way of reading for God's word in scripture. And I bring this up because I think I have a more grace-filled reading to offer and it goes like this and it all hinges on jesus and his playful punning with peter's name now that's a hard thing to say playful punning with peter's name in this passage jesus gives peter a nickname He nicknames him Rocky because the name Peter, one of its meanings is rock. But to emphasize that meaning, Jesus gives him the Greek word for rock, Cephas, Rocky. And Jesus gives him this nickname, and it's very fitting for Peter because if you know the story of Peter, he is very dense. He is a rockhead. He has rocks in the head. He doesn't get it. He never gets it. He doesn't get it earlier in the gospel, and he's not going to get it later in the gospel. But at this moment, he gets it. So I believe that this nickname is meant by Jesus not to emphasize any capability of Peter, but to emphasize the complete miracle that he got it the complete miracle of God's revelation. I've got a comment here that Cephas is Aramaic. Nope, I checked. It's Greek. Moving on. (laughs) The, um, The point is, is that Jesus is trying to emphasize the revelation coming from God. That Even God's word is so powerful that flesh and blood cannot figure it out. It must come from God. It's not something we deduce. It's not something we infer. It's not something we figure out or reason. It comes into history. It's not the product of history. It comes in as an interruption and interjection into the normal causality of this to that and this to that as a surprise, as a gift of grace. And Peter is meant to be the great exemplar of that grace. Our tradition can also get in the way of reading the rest of the passage. Here we have this issue of binding and loosing. And because we've been raised on endless cartoons, of St. Peter sitting behind a big book at the pearly gates, we're pretty sure that binding and loosing means recording our faults and our successes on earth so Peter later on can judge us worthy or not worthy to come into heaven. This is the effect of endless New Yorker cartoons. I wanna propose a different reading that a Appear To me in the text notice that it says what is bound on earth is bound in heaven. What is bound loosed on earth is loosed in heaven. Both are in heaven. And it's repetitive, which means it's important. Both what is bound on earth is bound in heaven. What is loosed on earth is loosed in heaven. So this binding and loosing action in the service of the gospel serves to help us get grow closer to the presence of God. Whatever is bound and loose on earth will be bound and loose in heaven. So it's gonna be a progress, a product, it's going to take us on this growth path into god's presence so let's reimagine binding and loosing in a new way and i have a story that i think helps illustrate what i'm talking about i was really blessed on vacation to hear brian stevenson speak on a podcast now brian stevenson is the founder of the equal justice initiative he's a african-american lawyer he's the subject of the book just mercy and the movie of the same name he founded the memorial for peace and justice which is commonly called the memorial lynching museum he is a major prophet for our times so Brian Stevenson told a story related to the lynching museum. One of the things they do is they collect dirt from every site they can identify for a lynching in the United States. And sometimes when they do this, they invite relatives of the person who was lynched, and this is African American people, to go out and collect the dirt themselves. They are equipped with training and a large glass receptacle to go get the dirt. It's important to say for the story in the training that they are given the option if approached in their excavating and asked what they are doing to lie. To simply say, oh, I'm getting some dirt for my garden. I'm getting a plant for my garden. And this is to acknowledge that this is a dangerous activity that they are doing. They are taking a risk going to some of these places in the country. They may confront real threats. They are making themselves vulnerable to do this act of witness. So Stevenson goes on to tell about one woman who received a jar and took her garden trowel and her jar and went out down the country roads of Alabama to do her collection. Way off on a rural road, she pulled her car off to the shoulder, grabbed her jar and her trowel, and walked out into a field to collect the sample. As she was preparing to do her digging, she noticed out of the corner of her eye a pickup truck driving down the same rural road, her heartbeat quickened. She grew anxious and afraid, and she looked up to see what would happen next. The truck kept going, and she kept praying, please keep going. Then to her great horror and anxiety, the truck stopped and backed up, and backed up right past where she was working, and she could tell the driver was looking at her. Her heartbeat raced, her sense of threat escalated. She was truly afraid in this moment, and she had cause to be based on the history of that place and of her life so far as an African-American woman in this country. To her relief, the truck started moving forward again. And she said, okay, great, just drive away, just drive away, keep on going. And she felt momentary relief before the truck pulled over to the side of the road and stopped. The driver got out of the truck and walked across the field to approach her. Her anxiety went off the charts, her heart was racing. Here she was kneeling down in the dirt with a large white man approaching her. He walked up to her and he asked just curiously, what are you doing? And she decided in that moment to tell the truth. She decided in that moment to tell courageously the truth of what she was doing, the story of her relative who was lynched on that spot. The man engaged her in a conversation following that of open questions, just curiosity, interest, until he paused for a long time. And she looked up at him, and he said, finally, can I help? Can I help you fill that jar with that dirt? And once again, with great courage, she said yes. So this great, tall, white man kneeled down in the dirt with his African-American woman and started to fill the jar her with her garden trowel, him with his bare hands, digging and digging and filling. They went at this for a while until the woman noticed that there was a tear in the man's eye. And she looked up and she heard him say, my goodness, I really hope none of my relatives were here that day. My goodness, I really hope that none of my ancestors were in that mom. And she let that sit. That grief, that pain, that guilt and that shame. She let it sit. When they're all finished, they exchanged contact information. And later on, the woman invited the man to come to the lynching museum when that glass of dirt was dedicated. And he came. Our hearts and minds are transformed by grace, says St. Paul. And I see this moment as a moment of binding and loosing I see this as a moment of grace intervening. All historical precedent, all history leading up to this moment would say it played out in a very different way. All expectations of a bad outcome were very plausible. But yet the courage of this woman, and the truth of that moment, and the grace that intervened made this moment a moment of transformation, of transformed hearts and minds and relationships, transformed into loosing and binding. All of that fear and terror that was so well justified, in some small way, let loose by this moment of grace. All of that history of hostility and broken relationship bound in some small way, loosing and binding, setting each other free and binding up into new relationships of love and care. binding and loosing as the work of grace that reorders and sets free from past broken orders of relationship and opens us up to new orders of relationship that are just and good and binding, that release the oppressed and humble the oppressor. The truth and grace of this moment was one small mark of healing. And in it, I see the church that Jesus predicts in the gospel. The church that binds and looses in the service of grace. There is hope for us, even though the march of history feels like a freight train we can barely affect, that cause and effect should only lead us into the worst outcomes. Because we know an intervening grace, the grace of Jesus Christ that sets us on a new path of transformed relationship, transformed possibility, new beginnings and new hope. the anthropologist Margaret Mead was famously asked by a student, what is the marker of when civilization begins? And he expected to hear something about fish hooks or spears or bowls or something like this. And instead she said, a broken femur that has healed. A broken femur that has healed. And he said, why is that? Because, she said, it shows that a group has progressed beyond life and death, beyond the natural order where if you break a femur, you're dead, to a place where they are prepared to give care to the vulnerable, to give care to those in need, and to bind up their wounds help them go to places for food and drink and survive. Civilization begins when we are bound to each other in bonds of caring and love. The right order of relationships in life is achieved when we live into this calling of care and love for the other. We're celebrating this week, a great moment in our American history. The moment when white women fought and won the right to vote. It's important to say white women because black and brown women were not able to vote until the Civil Rights Act of 1965. And the suffragette movement was as racist as its time. But we still celebrate a breakthrough in a progress towards recognizing the full humanity of all people. And recognizing this breakthrough, we see the gospel at work the slow progress towards recognizing that our humanity depends on recognizing and honoring the humanity of each person. Knowing that we will never be fully human until each person can be fully human. No matter their background, no matter where they come from, racial identity, sexual identity, gender identity, physical ability, gender, our humanity, and our ability to be fully human is inextricably linked with the humanity of neighbor. And so, friends, we are called into this ongoing infiltration of grace into our world where we seek to bind and loose as Jesus bound and loosed towards healing, towards liberation, towards inclusion, towards beloved community. Let us take on this grace as the life we choose to lead. Amen.